I come across a lot of teenagers in my work, uh, some kids who are just awesome, and their lives are, are, seem to be just great. I mean, they go through teenage stuff, but their lives, they're, they're, they're doing well. Uh, and there's some that I rub shoulders with who are just really hurt and broken, and it seems earlier on in life, they've just taken it on the chin from, from family and culture and friends. Jeremy was one of those guys. Uh, he's not an individual so much as a, a number of students I've known kind of put together. Uh, Jeremy was, um, his life had really become a living hell. Just bottom line. 17 years old. Um, he felt defeated. He felt hopeless. Everybody made fun of him and the way he dressed, black clothes, dark eyeliner, black lipstick. He, he listened to, to dark music that he just, he related to well, but it ended up getting him mocked a lot. He's the only child uh, living with his mom. His parents had split up six or seven years earlier. It was messy. And now mom was into her kind of her own life and pursuing different relationships. Didn't have a lot of time for him. And this 17-year-old guy just felt alone. Everywhere he went, people kind of, you know, discreetly kind of looked and laughed and commented on who he was, and his dreary life had become so sad and just full of what he felt was just like a hopeless living in existence. Um, nobody took the chance even to talk to him. Mr. Bailey, one of his teachers, Mr. Bailey, he would call, uh, just a, the day before had pulled him aside and said to him, look, maybe if you change the clothes you wore, people would like you more. And Mr. Bailey just seemed to know the right buttons to push. And by the way, if some of you know a Mr. Bailey, uh, it's not him. I'm just pulled the name out of the air. Um, he wanted to be running home after Mr. Bailey said what he said to tell his mom, but he knew she wouldn't be there anyway. I began to search through his backpack. Uh, somebody had given him a King James Bible, and, and he kind of liked it because of the these and thous, and it kind of had that gothic kind of feel to it. And he related to that. And so he had been thumbing through it. And he had been in this book called John. And he was reading about Jesus and the disciples. And, and that night he wondered to himself, you know, I wonder. I wonder if Jesus, I bet he would have been a friend to me. Um, Jeremy woke up the next morning, Sunday morning. And he walked he said, I'm, I'm going to go to church just a few, few blocks away. And so he walked to church and he, he kind of walked in, never, never been in a church before, a building. And he walked in and, and the usher kind of looked at him coldly and kind of forced a, a half smirk at him, half smile, and basically then ignored him and turned his attention to the next person, which, interesting, Jeremy noted, greeted with enthusiasm and a big smile. He uh, walked down the center aisle to, uh, to find, find somewhere to sit. And he could feel the eyes of the people in the church looking at him. Kind of murmuring, talking to one another. Making those discreet comments that he'd become so used to. And as he got to the front, the bench, the benches in this particular church didn't look all that inviting. So he just grabbed a seat on the, uh, on the carpet, on the floor. That's a bit of a scandal. And so, sure enough, he 
Here comes the head usher. Speak with him. Today we're going to be in Luke. And uh, we've been in a series called Life from a Different Perspective. And we've been jumping all around the book of Luke. Uh, we've been looking at stories of Jesus on the move. And, and it's been kind of, we were really learning that, that the kingdom of God is really an upside-down kind of kingdom. When I was in college, I led a team, a drama team, that went in and, and did productions uh, in different churches and youth ministries and, and different places. And it was called the Kingdom Players. Uh, some people called it King's Dumb Players. But I thought they were kind of smart guys on my team. Um, some of you will realize my last name's King and get that later. Uh, and, and we had this one skit where the people would dress in kind of jester hats and costumes. And it was called the Upside Down Kingdom. And they'd go through kind of how the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. If you want to live, you've got to die to self. If you want to be on top, you've got to become servant of all. And these kind of upside-down way of the kingdom of God. And we kind of explored that. And, and that's what we're finding, that life in the book of Luke, looking at Jesus, presents an upside-down kingdom to the culture that we are a part of in the world around us. It really does. Uh, the kingdom is upside-down compared to our world. And we've been exploring that. And today we want to just camp for a little bit in Luke chapter 19. I don't know if you have a Bible with you. There's some in the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one from the chairs in front of you. And it's our gift to you. Take it home. If you just forgot it this morning, uh, don't take the one in the chair. We are not building your Bible library. You can leave it here and bring your real Bible next week. Uh, and it's a story about Jesus entering into the city of Jericho. He's on his way towards Jerusalem. The clock is ticking on the last days of his life. And it says there's this story unfolds that we're going to look at today. Uh, it turns out there's a man in this city of Jericho by the name of Zacchaeus. And, and, and just as a side note, if you grew up in church gatherings and you went to Sunday school, uh, that name should ring some bells for you right off the bat. And you should know at least two things about Zacchaeus. Uh, what are those two things? Just Let's just open it up. Quick poll here. What are the, he's short. Okay, a wee—he's a wee little man, a wee little man, uh, and and because there's a song that went with this, and it went Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We can't say that anymore. We have to be politically correct, so we've changed it. Zacchaeus was a height challenged man. A height challenged man was he excellent, and and then he did something else. What else did he do? He was a member of the IRS, yeah, of the time, yeah. We're gonna get to that. Uh, he was also he, he's into climbing, and so so he he had a, a I don't know if he had like a jungle gym in his backyard when he was a kid or something, but he climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus. He climbed a tree to see Jesus, and these are the two things we know about him from this little cutesy kind of song that we sung. But there's more to the story than that. And, and so uh, in verse two of chapter 19, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. That's where the IRS stuff comes in, and was wealthy. Uh, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, a height-challenged man, a wee little man, he could not because of the crowds. Right, you can see him kind of taking a look. Um, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Now, since Jesus was coming that way. Um, there are a number of characters we're going to look at in this story. And the first one is Zacchaeus. This, this guy, and he is a wealthy guy. 
he is a height-challenged guy. And, and so, if you know anything about me, I, I like to spend time reflecting on Scripture and the Bible and, and kind of trying to picture myself in the midst of a story. Picking up on the sights, the sounds, the smells, those things sometimes we miss at first reading. And so I was trying to do that with this story, and, and I'm, I'm trying to characterize Zacchaeus as a wealthy man. And so I'm thinking, this is, this is like a Donald Trump of the day kind of guy. Uh, sharp suit, sharp shoes. We're not sure what happened with the hair, but we'll leave that aside for the moment. And, and, but he's, Donald Trump, I looked it up on, on Google. Trump is about 6'2", so this does not work. So we need to mash this up a bit. Uh, and so some of you know who Danny DeVito is. Uh, and so we're going we're to take a Donald Trump, Danny DeVito mashup here. And that's going to give us a bit of an idea of this Zacchaeus guy. Okay? That's, that's who he is as I'm, I'm picturing him. Uh, and, and this is a guy who has got, uh, from all observation, uh, some incredible income. He, the way it worked in Rome, as I understand it, is that the Roman government would appoint tax collectors in local areas. And their job was to uh, take in the tax dollars that would then go to Caesar, who was pretty much lord. Uh, Rome was an em- uh, a nation that had an emperor, and that emperor was seen as a god. And so there was emperor worship that happened. And so they would often say, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, would say these sometimes on the coins, Caesar is lord. And people of Rome would declare that. Caesar is my lord. Basically saying he is, he is a god and I am, I am committed my life. Caesar is lord of my life. And they would, they would go and collect the money, the taxes for their Caesar. And they were allowed to collect the money needed and anything else they could get out of it. So it was some real dodgy kind of fraudulent kind of scamming. It was kind of, you know what a Ponzi scheme is or a, a, a financial pyramid or a kind of a, where, where the person below you takes in money and then passes it up and eventually the guy at the top gets rich. Um, in this case, it was not illegal but legal because the Roman government said you can do this. You can take in taxes, anything else you can get. Now, Zacchaeus was the chief priest, so he was at the top of the, the pyramid scheme and he was wealthy because of it. It was legal. It was not right. And sometimes we do things that are legal, but not right. And things would change for Zacchaeus. But that's how people saw him. He was the top of the pyramid. He was a wealthy guy. And people did not like him. He probably would have been lonely. Or the friends he had would have been people that were taking advantage of the friendship for the sake of what they could get from him. Uh, He's someone that was not well-liked and so probably had a pretty thick skin. And I've known a few people with a lot of money and a few people who are seeking after power. And by the way, we still throw that carrot out so much for those who are moving into college and moving into university and and moving out of high school, don't we? Uh, What's your career going to be? And and somehow our, our culture still puts that carrot out of money, and power. Go after the jobs that are going to line your pockets because you want to have the bucks and you want to have the power. Climb that corporate ladder. So this guy was just doing what we still arguably expect today. This is real life stuff that Jesus is walking into. 
This is what people saw when they looked at him from the outside. But inside, something very different was going on. He was intrigued by the man Jesus. Uh, John chapter 6 verse 44 says to us that um, it says of Jesus, No one can come to me, Jesus is speaking, unless the Father who has sent me draws him. And Zacchaeus was beginning to be drawn to Jesus. Some of you remember when this happened in your life. You began to get curious. There was something inside of you that drew you with a curiosity that you could not contain to seek out and explore who Jesus is. Um, in Acts chapter 16, 9, that same word that's translated draw in this verse no one comes to the Jesus, or no one comes to him except that the Father draws him. That sixteen in Acts sixteen nineteen it says, no one comes to the uh, Father unless he draws him. That same word draw is translated as drag in Acts sixteen, and so it's the sense that the Holy Spirit will bring you to the Father through Jesus Christ. He will drag you there, and this is starting to happen in Zacchaeus's heart. He is curious. And he's going to do whatever he can. A businessman with a lot of money. Hugo Boss suit. Fine leather briefcase. Sharp looking shoes. And maybe a dodgy haircut. We're not sure. Going down the Wall Street of the day. Seeing this entourage with Jesus coming. If it happened today, maybe the paparazzi would have been around a little bit. Either way, he couldn't see through the crowd that was moving towards the Christ. And so, he just starts shimmying up a light pole. You know, kind of stepping on the side of the, the mailbox. Can you see this businessman in a suit doing this? Basically becoming a fool out of the curious compulsion that he's got to see Christ. We roll it back to Jerusalem Day, and this is him climbing up a tree. This story is, is the working out, a real life working out of some theory that Jesus talked about just a chapter before. Uh, if you're still in Luke 19, just flip back to Luke 18, maybe in the same page, it is online, to verse 9. Jesus is talking to some Pharisees and some people, and, and he, he tells this story. He's in verse 9. To some who were content, or I'm sorry, I'll start again. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, a teacher of religious law. And, and the other was a tax collector. Remember, this happens just a little bit before the encounter with Zacchaeus. The Pharisee stood up. And prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thieves. Evildoers. Guys that sleep around in their wives. Or even like, and he points to someone else in the temple. This tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. He just taste the pompous nature of this prayer. And verse 13, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even, 
He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. A tax collector, that is. And everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the theory that Jesus is talking about. We talk theory a lot when we gather on a Sunday. But what happens when we hit the streets and we encounter it? That's the story. And so Jesus is this man, uh, pardon me, Zacchaeus is this man who on the outside looks a certain way, has a lot of labels and stereotypes, possibly rightly so, put on him. But there's something going on in the inside. Back in the Old Testament, First uh, Samuel 16, the prophet, God has sent a prophet to find a new king. Israel has had King Saul. And it's time to anoint a new king. And so a prophet is sent. And he's sent to a particular locale and to look for a particular family. And he finds the father, Jesse, and he says, Jesse, I need to see your sons. And one of them is going to be anointed as the new king. And so Jesse parades his sons, his farmer guys. These are big boys, all right? They look like king material, okay? And as the prophet goes along to each one, God says, no, no, no. And we get to the end of the story, and the prophet asks, say, do you have any other sons? And we go, well, yeah, one, but he's out tending the sheep. Bring him here. And this ends up being the one that's anointed. The least that one would expect is anointed to be king. And there's this, this statement that's, that's spoken out by the Lord that says, man judges our, the outward appearance, but God judges the heart. And it's true as Zacchaeus. The people around him are judging him based on what they see here, and some of it rightly so. Because that's who he was. But God's doing something in his heart. And this is Zacchaeus. This is the first kind of character in our story. He sees Jesus is coming, climbs up a tree. He's got to get a glimpse of this guy. Verse 5, back in chapter 19. Are you keeping up? We're there. When Jesus reached the spot, when he reached the spot, I am now here. What did he do? He looked up. In contrast to those in chapter 18 who were looking down their nose, Jesus looks up and says to Zacchaeus, calls him out by name, whether it's by reputation or it's by insight given to him by the Spirit of God. Jesus speaks a name and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must Stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him where into the house, his home, gladly. And then we stop because between the next, this verse and the next verse, some time passes. Uh, Jesus speaks to this guy personally. It's relational. Uh, our high school students have been working through a couple of different series this fall on Wednesday nights when we gather. 
And one of the things that has been a real theme that the Spirit has been putting on my heart to speak through and is, is, is really resonating with the students right now is that Jesus is, uh, yes, religion serves a purpose, but Jesus is more interested first and foremost in relationship. Relationship is the end. Religion is, is a means towards that end. Religion is duty and practice that we walk through that pushes us, even sometimes when we don't feel it, into the heart of the Father. But being in the heart of the Father, that relational place, that's the end game. And this is what Jesus is demonstrating. Zacchaeus, by name. Uh, in Psalm 139, it speaks about the fact that God knit us together in our mother's womb. That he knows us better than we know ourselves. Even before a word is on our tongue, he knows it. Another place in scripture talks about the fact that God knows the, the hairs on our head. Some of us, it doesn't take as long as them to tabulate that than others. But he knows them, nonetheless. It's a personal, relational God. Zacchaeus. Um, calls him by name. And then he takes some initiative. He doesn't invite. I want to go to your house and eat and spend the day. This is scandal. Not only is a rabbi now going to consort with a known sinner, a con artist, a scammer, a fraud guy, but he's setting up it publicly, declaring it in front of all sorts of onlookers, the Jerusalem paparazzi, twittering it. Because Jesus puts the relationship ahead of his reputation. We don't have to look further than back at at Matthew chapter 11. Verse 19. It says this. This is what people are saying. This is the reputation Jesus has got because he's doing these kind of things. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and, quote, sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Jesus wasn't as concerned about the reputation he'd get from hanging out with these people as the fact that he wanted to have a relationship with them. A few weeks ago, Paul shared that this December, one of the, I think one of the neat things that our church community is going to be doing is having the opportunity to have basically throw parties for our, our, the people on our street. To have friends, neighbors, some of them aren't friends, some of them are people we don't know. Some of them are that guy down the road. You know, the one who burns his garbage all the time and lets it smolder so the smell comes into the house next door and as the wind blows it over. Yeah, that guy. Uh, you know, the one, the one who borrows stuff, but it's not really borrowing And the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus compels me to be kind and generous with what I have. And yet I know that I'm kissing my hedge trimmers goodbye when they go in this guy's hands. All right? What's he ever going to, what am I ever going to do if that guy comes over and I find out maybe scenario is his wife is expecting and now's the time, but his battery is dead and he's got a flat tire. I need to borrow your car. Bye-bye. Uh, you know, this that guy. And so some of these neighbors we'll invite over are going to be those kind of people. And uh, 
and we'll invite them to our home. We're, we're in the, my understanding is we're in the midst of putting together kind of a package, kind of a, uh, uh, how, how do we do this that we'll all get? And we can, we can just have people from our street over and share desserts and talk about Christmas traditions. And when it comes around to us, we've got some incredible Christmas traditions that have to do with our faith. Give us an opportunity to share what Christmas means to us. Maybe invite people to, to Christmas Eve services or something like this. And, and just, it's relational. But there's going to be some risk involved. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the people I was talking to, a lady I was talking to, she said, you know, when I first heard Paul say this idea, I thought it was terrible. I got mad. I was angry. The stuff I usually do for ministry and in around Christmas, it's comfortable, it's familiar, I know how to do it, I do it well, and there's no real risk involved, it's safe. And I got mad initially because that's going to be risk, risky. And, and she realized, and she realized I'm, I'm scared, and that's why I'm uncomfortable with it. But God's been working on my heart. I really, I got to practice. I don't bake. So, so she's been she's been practicing baking the last number of weeks to get it right, so that when she hosts one of these, people will actually thank you and mean it because <laughs> it's not kind of deal, right? And so, and so this is. She, this is the, Jesus is throwing parties. And in this case, publicly invites himself over to a known sinner's home and says, I want to spend time with you. It was a divine appointment. And Zacchaeus is one of our characters. He's the man who's being moved towards Christ. And Jesus is the guy who's modeling to us what it means to put it out there and obey what the Spirit is doing. And so he says, come down at once. Uh, so he came down at once, verse 6, and welcomed Jesus into his, his home gladly. Some time passes. Uh, the phone calls are happening. The tweets are making their way through the populace. And all the people who saw this and began, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone out to be the guest of a sinner. And if there's a third group of characters in this story, it's the mutterers. The I have a concern people. The gossip crew. And they're the people who talk about rather than talk to. And we've, apparently they're around in Jesus' day. Go figure. And they're there giving their commentary. They're basing everything on what they see on the outside. They don't get to know what's going on the inside. This is this, this crew. They've forgotten that grace recognizes that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that Jesus doesn't look down, but he looks up. And then he looks eye to eye. So they're there too. But they only get one verse. Verse 8. And apparently this is after the meal from the context of the verse. Zacchaeus then stands up and he says to the Lord, Look, Lord. Now, 
Just a little bit ago, there was somebody else receiving the title Lord for this guy. And that was Caesar. The name on the back of the money. Something shifted in him during this meal. Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possession to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, but pardon me, anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He's repented. Last week, Chris, by the way, I, I, I understand that Chris was preaching last week, but that maybe he didn't get it introduced well. Uh, Chris, some of you were here last week and Chris was here. Chris has preached a couple times here. Great guy. He's my growth group leader. Love him. It's a great job. He's also my neighbor. He's one of them that I'm going to have. No, kidding. No, he's not the them. Uh, sorry, Chris. I apologize. Uh, but yeah, great guy. And, and he's just working out his, his gifting of, of teaching and preaching. And, and hopefully he'll uh, be continuing to do that. So just in case you didn't know who Chris was, uh, he's part of our congregation. He and his wife and family for uh, a little over a year now, I believe. And, uh, and so just some great people. But, and he spoke on the fruit of repentance last week. And this is what's happened in the heart of Zacchaeus. He's repented. Uh, he's recognized his sinfulness and he's turned his back. He's repented a 180 turn away and begin to follow a new Lord. But then he takes it a step further and he begins to reconcile those he has wronged. He begins to explore restitution with them. Uh, he's sinned He's committed sins of omission, that he's omitted to care for the poor who was among the, the community. And he's, he's committed sins of commission. He's, he's purposely sinned against people. So omit, omitted and committed. And for both of those he addresses. To those who have sins of omission, he's decided, I'm going to give half of what I own. That's a chunk of coin right there to the poor. And... If I've wronged anyone, and there is a list, believe you me, the guy's doorbell was ringing for the next few weeks at least. Anybody I've wronged, I will pay back four times the amount that I owe them. That's a big deal. And I can just hear, it's not in here, but I can just hear the muttering crew, oh, that's all for show. Will he really follow through with it? He's just saying that because Jesus is here. He's just trying to get a better status and favor in people. Um, it could be. We don't hear anything else about Zacchaeus in Scripture. Extra-biblically, though, we do. We find references to someone named Zacchaeus who eventually becomes the bishop over the church in Caesarea. And most scholars believe it's the same guy. He moves away from what he was and his life is radically transformed. Not just short-term fruit, but long-term fruit that had an impact for many, 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 many lives. And he becomes an overseer of the church in a whole region called Caesarea. This is Zacchaeus. Jesus makes a statement observing his repentance and his statement of restitution. And he says this, as if to put a stamp of yes, God, on this. Today, salvation, 
An eternal changing, guys. An eternal transaction has happened. Uh, This guy's destiny has changed from apart from God to God for eternity. And Jesus declares it. Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. He is equal. He's not to be looked down on. As for the Son of Man, I came to seek and to save what was lost. And if Jesus is our model, that's got to be our motto. (laughs) I just came up with that now. That's pretty good. Alliteration and all. Model, motto. Uh, You know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and he's commissioned to us to do the same. To be watching with our eyes wide open to those God appointments that will come in front of us. And when they come to embrace the Spirit and say yes, whether it's reputation or risk on the line, or just something that really comes easily, to say yes, because the Father is drawing people to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we don't speak the truth and represent Christ, how are they going to come to the Father? He's a model to us for this stuff. This is an incredible story. It's just not the theory of chapter 18. This is, this is the real life example. And I've got to believe the theme that God seems to be weaving through our church family these last few months is evangelism across the street, not only around the world. Let's connect with our community and say, God, more of this community you've got on your heart to come to Jesus, to come to Christ, to come into the upside down kingdom of God. And it'll be messy and it'll be uncomfortable at times. But it's good because it's your will and we want to walk as people of obedience. And it starts in the little things. It starts with saying, yes, Christ, I accept your forgiveness. I change my life from me to you. And as we begin to walk in that, the rest begins to fall into place. There's this kid. His life is messed up. 17 years old. Seems hopeless. He gets this little Bible out that somebody gave him at some point. Starts flipping through and reading and thinking, man, I bet you Jesus would have been my friend. And he walks down the street the next Sunday morning into a church building. Gets a little bit of an icy reception. Not something he's not used to. He walks down the center aisle. Sits down on the carpet. And people start murmuring. And muttering. Now comes the head usher. Man, about 80 years old. Dressed in the finest suit and tie. Slowly walking down that center aisle. And people are like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, uh-huh, yep, that's right. Here he comes. Everybody thought the older man would scold the boy and ask him to leave church. Tension builds as he approaches this young man. He gets to the place of the boy sitting squats down beside him, 
Then he sits. He reaches out his hand, says, welcome. Many in the congregation are astonished and realize, to realize the old man had welcomed the young kid, this punk, and asked him not to leave. The pastor gets up, the story goes, on that particular Sunday, says in his sermon that that day they're going to be talking about radical hospitality. And apparently God was up to something already. And that this usher has just acted it out. There's theory. And then there's practice. As we are people of God's presence, he will put us into situations where we need to practice. So if you're not ready yet, tighten up the belt, tie up the shoelaces, and get ready to go. Because we follow a God who takes us on wild adventures, way out of our comfort zone. But he gives us everything we need to make it happen. And it is good. Just, I want to end with just a little extra. There was an uh, older gentleman uh, who came up to me uh, at the end of the service and said to me, back in the day, he said, I went to Calvary Chapel down in California. And uh, my pastor was a guy named Chuck Smith. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Calvary Chapel. This is back in the Jesus movement, back in the 70s. And this is one of the churches that basically threw their doors open to the hippies and said, come on in. He said, yeah, we used to meet in a tent and uh, dirt floors. He said, all the surfers would come up and join us. And then eventually we built a building. People were coming to Jesus, he said. And we put a, a carpet in. People started getting uncomfortable because the surfers would come in and get sand all over the carpets. He says, I remember Chuck saying to us, we want to see people come to Christ. Would you get over the carpets? And I thought, yeah, that is cool. We don't have carpets. Um, but we've got stuff. Those personal little right and wrongs that we hold. And Jesus will eventually start offending those for the sake of his kingdom.